Today's scripture is from the book of Romans, beginning with chapter 15, verses 30 through 33. Here begins the reading. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in earnest prayer to God on my behalf, that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. The God of peace be with all of you. Amen. And now continuing with chapter 16, verses 1 through 7 and 15 and 16. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ in Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epenetus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with unholy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Here, begin, here ends the reading, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I grew up in small town Texas churches. So I learned really early in my life that it's the church ladies who are the glue that holds the church together. Anybody agree with that? Amen. Would children's Sunday school exist without church ladies? I don't think so. This is vacation Bible school week, and I can promise you that wouldn't have been invented without church ladies. And what about potluck suppers and fried chicken dinners on Commitment Sunday and receptions for graduates and snack supper before children's choir? Church ladies taught me how to know and love the Bible, how to love the church. They taught me that we're all expected to find our place to serve. And they taught me that after you've enjoyed a delicious meal at the church, don't go home, go into the kitchen and help clean up. <laughs> I want you to hold on to that advice. So to this day, I still remember the joy 
of standing in front of my Sunday school class and reciting my memory verse and getting it right and having my Sunday school teacher come and wrap her arms around me for a big hug and I could smell her perfume and her face powder and she hugged me so tight her pearls made an imprint on my cheek <laughs> and it was bliss. My grandmother, Pearlie May, I've told you about her before. She was a consummate church lady, a farmer who got up early on Sunday morning and drove into town so she could play the piano for the ladies' Sunday school class. And then she sang in the choir. She gave sacrificially to world missions and loved missionary stories. She taught me all of the holy habits I would need to be a follower of Jesus. Am I excited to be the preacher batting cleanup for this series on fierce women of the Bible? You bet I am. <laughs> and am I over the moon to be talking about the vital role of high profile women in the first century? You have no idea. I was so excited about this that I actually showed up here for the worship walkthrough a day early. <laughs> and I sat in the pew and I wondered where all those other loafers were. I was going to call you, Todd, and then I finally remembered, you know, oh, it's Wednesday, not Thursday. Ah, I just couldn't wait. Now, I have always loved the part of Paul's letters where he's sending thanks and greetings to the people who are working alongside him to plant those churches. Paul's preaching and teaching stands, you know, beside no other. Very first church consultant, church planter extraordinaire. But when he gets to those thanks and he talks about these partners in ministry, Paul seems so warm and relational and humble and it makes me think of all of the leaders in the churches I've observed who worked alongside each other. I love those parts of his letters. Usually that comes at the end. Sometimes he mentions some people at the beginning. There are nine women listed in the passage that we just heard. We didn't read the whole passage. Paul tells us Priscilla and her husband risked their necks on his behalf. He mentions Priscilla's name first ahead of her husband. That's a little out of the standard order back then. Paul includes Junia along with her husband and names them as prominent apostles. Paul thanks Mary and Persis for their work on behalf of the gospel, not some secondary work that was only uh, support work, but contributions every bit as significant as the contributions of male leaders, make no mistake, these church ladies, they were full partners in ministry. So let me tell you about Phoebe. One of Paul's senior leaders, Phoebe, was one of only a handful of individuals who carried Paul's letters to the early church. She was significant. She had three roles, really, in Paul's ministry. First, she was patron. The Greco-Roman world in the first and second centuries um, made it possible for women of means to do all kinds of things 
for their cities and for the people around them. There are women patrons who built uh, municipal reservoirs and aqueducts. They funded beautiful buildings. They funded significant monuments and public spaces. They built public gymnasiums. So much more. Phoebe was a primary investor in Paul's ministry, but he tells us in the letter that she also generously supported lots of others in the early church. So Phoebe was a patron. Phoebe was also a deacon. This part is a little more controversial. Paul tells us that Phoebe was a deacon in her home church of Sincrie in Greece, the coastal town about five miles from Corinth. Now, I wonder if you're aware of the problems Romans 16.1 has caused over the years for local churches. Those on the side of women in leadership point to this verse, and they say Phoebe call, Paul called Phoebe a deacon, and he specifically mentioned the church where she was serving as a deacon, case closed. Churches are a little more skeptical about women in leadership would say, would try to explain away Paul's words and say that the Greek word he used really wasn't the right one and Phoebe was really more of a helper and not a deacon really because she was a woman. Just so you know, outside the Bible, there is plenty of historical evidence that women were deacons in the first and second centuries. We don't have to rely on Romans 16.1, but this verse continues to be a point of contention in churches today. So Phoebe was a patron, Phoebe was a deacon, and Phoebe was an amazing preacher. I don't think I really understood what it meant to be a letter carrier for Paul. She was chosen to carry the letter to the Roman house churches she was recruited by Paul and then carefully, meticulously trained in how she was going to deliver his letter. You could think of each of these letter carriers as a kind of envoy for Paul's ministry. Before leaving for the destination, the letter carrier was trained in the art of performing the letter before the community. It was kind of a social occasion when the letter carrier came and the community gathered. There were multiple house churches in Rome, so this would have happened in multiple locations. And the person who's the surrogate stands before the audience, uses every kind of art of inflection and voice and gesture and interpretive techniques so that the letter could come alive to the people who were receiving it. Paul coaches Phoebe on which points need extra emphasis and he helps her understand why those points are so important, so critical. They work together day after day after day until Phoebe had it just right. Now let me ask you, when's the last time you read straight through the book of Romans? It is a lot of information. I cannot imagine how long it took Phoebe to deliver the entire book of Romans. 
But that wasn't the end because then it was time for questions and answers. And those who had been listening to Paul's teaching would need some clarification. They would be confused about one particular point. And Phoebe, one question after another, would help to explain how Paul's teaching applied to each of the questions that they were asking. And then they would bring up things that had recent, recently happened in the local church. And she would listen and be able to be kind of a consultant about that. You can imagine as Paul was preparing her that he told her stories about each of the house churches and what uh, leaders were there and also some of the challenges each church might be struggling with, some of the issues. He could help her anticipate what some of the questions were going to be, but things that happened in those churches that Paul didn't even know about. And Phoebe was going to be hearing them live and having to think quickly enough to have the appropriate answer. There's good reason to believe this was Paul's last letter written by him. And behind it lies two decades, more than two decades, of preaching and teaching and his writing to the Thessalonian and Philippian and Corinthian and Galatian churches. So this letter carried a lot of weight. It was so important. Besides the delivery of this long letter, besides the consulting questions and answers, Phoebe was also the person who carried the news of the church back to Paul. And don't you know that Paul was on pins and needles waiting for her to come so they could sit down and talk. And he could hear how the letter was received by each of the churches. And he could listen for the questions that were asked. And he could find out, was, were things well with the leaders? I imagine in him leaning in, and just drinking up every word Phoebe would have as she reported back to him about her visits, about how the letter was received. Phoebe taught the scriptures to the congregation, both men and women. She protected the church from false teaching. She used her judgment and Paul's teaching on matters of theology and doctrine she explained Paul's writing and worked to resolve the disputes between Jewish and Gentile believers. She was amazing. During the time I was an area minister, I would make visits out to churches and sit down with church leaders. Some of the churches were having some conflict. Usually I was there because they were in between senior ministers and needed to work a little bit before they were ready to welcome the next pastor. And I would listen to stories of conflict, and I would hear in those conversations words from factions in the church that had been at cross purposes since Jesus was a boy. And mostly I would listen and sometimes have suggestions, but I'm so glad I didn't have to teach the entire book of Romans before we got to the part about the local church. Phoebe was mediator. She was New Testament professor. She was consultant. And she was messenger back to Paul with all the news that he longed to hear about the churches and the leaders that he loved. Let's just agree 
that Phoebe put the role of church lady on the map in ancient Rome. So many women were instrumental in Paul's ministry, but Phoebe was really exceptional. So I've got one one more story to share with you. Let's move fast forward from the middle of the first century to the middle of the 19th century, and let's make our way from Rome to Cincinnati, Ohio. We're going to a meeting of church ladies at Richmond Street Christian Church. It is October 21st, 1874. Now, during the 1860s, missionary societies were springing up all across the United States. But this group of ladies had a particular passion for sharing the gospel message in a way that improved the lives of women and children around the world. And so they agreed to form. Why is it noteworthy? Because this group of church ladies who formed the Christian Women's Board of Mission, Women's Board of Missions, was the first group to serve both foreign and domestic missions. We'll talk about that in a minute. It was the first group to employ both, both men and women. That means women getting paychecks for their work. And it was the first group managed entirely by women. Now, to get started, I must confess to you, these leadership church ladies had to go ask permission from the men in one of the other missionary societies. Yes, it is true. The man who gave them permission later wrote an article about it in Christian Standard, and he explained that it was an easy decision for him. He wrote, this is a flame of the Lord's kindling, and no man can extinguish it. He knew. Two years later, the first mission post in Jamaica, and the society sends out their first missionaries, a married couple and a single woman. She was also a first. Three years later, there's a mission post in India, and then Mexico, Puerto Rico, Argentina, Japan. But meanwhile, while these foreign posts were being established, the society was hard at work back at home. They were serving mountain schools in Appalachia. They established five Bible chairs at universities. They developed an outreach program for Asians living in California. They did settlement work for the urban poor, and they opened up the College of Missions in Indianapolis in 1910 to provide theological education and practical training for women who were leaving for the mission field. Not not too shabby. Now, one of the things these ladies loved was calling children to come and be part of mission work, and so they established missionary clubs. Children could join for 15 cents a month, and that money would go to help a new church in Japan and an orphanage in India. They published a number of children's magazines, including one monthly magazine called Little Builders at Work. By 1919, there were 30,000 kids in these missionary clubs. And these children on their own had raised a half million dollars for mission work around the world. Now I think we can agree that church ladies are nothing if not practical. And so after 45 years of amazing work, 
These ladies, these church ladies, accepted an invitation to consolidate with a group called the United Christian Missionary Society, but they had one stipulation before they signed on the dotted line, and that was that every single committee in the new organization would have an equal number of men and women. Here's the report card after 45 years of ministry. They had established local mission societies in 43 states. They had enrolled 100,000 members. They had provided financial support to mission fields in 10 countries. They sponsored 974 missionaries, serving churches, 68 churches around the world, 284 schools, nine hospitals. One more thing. They had together raised more than $7 million for world missions. Throughout the centuries, God has used church ladies to make miracles happen. And so one closing word for the wise, brothers and sisters, let us never, ever underestimate what church ladies can do for the sake of the gospel. Amen.